Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It's our French correspondent, our Victor Wembenyama in-person scout. It's Danny LaRue just getting back from a five and a half week trip in Europe where he got to see Victor Wembenyama in person. We're going to talk some Wemby stuff just in terms of what he saw as an in-person scout with Vic. And then on top of it, we're going to talk some preseason NBA trade candidates. I think it's an interesting idea to kind of set the trade market for what it could look like throughout the course of the season, just given the fact that I can't quite remember a time in the league where so few stars were even potentially available uh, over the course of the last few years. So it's an interesting idea in terms of being able to break down what we could see, what could come available for teams that maybe don't start well, maybe teams that do start really well and are looking to expand on the trade market. But we'll get into all that in about 15 minutes. First and foremost, Danny LaRue, what's going on, man? Doing well. Still, you know, jet lagged, had the 11 hour flight last night, but oh, enjoying boy. it and happy I stayed because getting to see Wenbanyama a couple times in person, even if I felt like a little bit of an idiot because now he's going to be in Henderson, Nevada and a little bit going to play against Scoot Henderson in the G League Ignite. <laughs> Didn't know that when I booked all this stuff, but still really happy I did it and a, a really fun experience too to see domestic French League play. Yeah, so let, let's start with Vic. So I've talked a lot about Wimbanyama already this season, and people have real interest in learning more about him. And we've broken down his game on this podcast quite a bit at this point. You know, seven foot five, something, you know, in the ballpark of seven, eleven, eight foot wingspan. Uh, you know, very high level defensive prospects, really developing offensively. Uh, you know, Adam Spinella and I have broken him down to death. I think that. The best place to go and see where he is right now is a podcast that Spins and I did uh, maybe two weeks ago after his preseason game where he dropped 33 points, if I remember correctly. But neither of us were in person for that game. So I would love to hear from Danny what his impressions were, if only because this game from Vic wasn't his best game necessarily, didn't like go out and dominate this game. I think he had, what did he have, like 10 points, 8 rebounds? The one blocks. against Pal Lacorthez? Yeah. Yeah, we, he only played four minutes in the first half because he got in foul trouble, in part yep. because one of John Stockton's children um, sold the hell out of an illegal screen, which was correctly called as an illegal screen, and then Wembenyamo, he only played four minutes in the first half. But, I mean, really, and you and I talk about this a lot with rookies, it's about flashes, and some of the flashes there were were pretty unreal, and... I really also enjoyed watching before that game. I watched Wembenyama's pregame workout. And so, yeah, the defensive stuff, I mean, eight-foot wingspan moves reasonably well, tries reasonably hard. Like, so you could you could see the outlines there. And as somebody who was obsessive over Rudy Gobert almost a decade ago as a prospect, was that even more than a decade ago? No, it was, yeah. That was, that was less than a decade ago. It was 2013. It was 13. And so... um because the idea of like how how you can apply length, and I think Wembenyama, he's more mobile at this stage than Gobert was. Then Gobert worked on his body a lot. You and I actually talked about that on Real GM Radio as well. But so you have all that. But with the part that was more surprising to me, I'm not as familiar with watching Wemby film yet as you are, is the offensive game. And yeah. so yes, Wembenyama, in all likelihood, his bread is going to be buttered by his defensive stuff, and you kind of know that score at least for now. Um, but 
I love. I, I heartily enjoyed. You know, I watched the pregame stuff. You worked for about a half an hour long before everything else, and it was originally catch and shoot threes, but then some movement threes, some deep threes, and then some on ball stuff. You know, some crossovers and some pull up jump shots. And you're not looking for that diet. You know, you're not you're not looking for a seven foot four Demar Derozan out there, but you apply some of those things into a smaller usage role and it could work really well. Yeah. One of the things, and you should listen to real GM radio, Danny's podcast, because we talked for what, like 20 minutes about Vic and we're not going to go as maybe, I have I haven't cropped it yet, but I think it might be 35 minutes about women. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Could be 30 minutes, 35 minutes on Vic. So we're going to go more in depth uh, there uh, on Danny's show than we did here. But the thing about that, uh, that I hadn't quite put into a number form is, you know, you mentioned his movement in comparison to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is more mobile, uh, was more mobile. Kentucky closed the space uh, just a little bit better. His reactivity was a little bit better. Uh, not to say that Vic is uncoordinated, but his twitching, like Anthony Davis was like special in terms of twitchiness with that length and with that athleticism and height and everything. Anthony Davis at the 2012 combine was six foot nine point two five with a seven foot five and a half wingspan. Victor which, are, which are very good measurements, by the way. Yes, yes. Those are legit center measurements. Uh, Victor Wembanyama, if you believe John Gavoni's reporting, and I have no reason to ever doubt John, uh, seven foot four without shoes with a seven foot 11 wingspan. So we're talking about basically he's going to be seven inches taller than Anthony Davis, and he's going to be six and a half inches longer than Anthony Davis. Like, what in the what like that's a foot of margin of error basically like not accounting for neck size and all that stuff Vic has a bit of a longer neck Anthony Davis I think has like a bit of a long neck as well so like I don't think the difference there will be like enormous but like that that's that's such an enormous margin for error well, even let alone like actual impact that he can bring if he uses that length correctly which he does right and keep in mind this is not Pavel Podkolzin or Taco Fall or somebody who it's like they're a curiosity because of their size. Victor Wembanyama has that level of impact as a player. Oh, yeah. And he's also this ridiculous set of physical tools. And like, I mean, the mental stuff and everything else is there. But it's like it's the building blocks are just supernatural in a lot of ways. And you do see that in person. And I I absolutely lost it a couple of times watching him, but one of them, my probably my favorite little clip, I'll see if I can pull it at some point, was it was in the, I think it was in the third, it was in the third quarter of the second game, so the game against Paolo Cortez, where when Benyama, you can kind of, I can, since this is on YouTube, I can kind of do the visual of it. He blocked a shot with his arm bent basically like this. So he never extended. He just like had his arm bent and it's just like, oh, that's all I need. That's all I need to block the shot. Just like, Against, you know, professional players. Like, it's not, you know, the yeah. French League isn't the best league, but still professional players trying their best. And Victor Wembanyama at 18 years old is just like, yeah, that's not a problem for me at all. And he, had, and he has some nice effort plays as well. And, like, the there's this element of it, and I know you, because you watch younger guys a lot than I, like, more often than I do, is, like, yeah. I, w- I was working a little bit on the plane, one of the benefits of an 11-hour flight, on like kind of the basics of my write-up, which will eventually be done, you know, probably in the next week or two. And one of the things that I was thinking about was seeing him at 18 
we might be a decade from Wembenyama's best professional season. And so yeah, you're like, that, that's, that's crazy. So you're like, crazy. what could he be at that point? And the answer is a whole heck of a lot. Like that's, it's a, it's a different mental exercise. And honestly, like it is a little bit different for somebody who's playing in the French domestic league than the G league United or college, just because we don't have as many parallels. Like there haven't been where Gobert did it, but then remember Gobert didn't play a ton his first year of like, okay, the French league hasn't had this level of prospect very often. So, but you have Euro league and then obviously the FIBA stuff and everything else that one Banyama has done, but those like so so you're thinking about like okay he has a little bit of like on ball stuff where it's like basic crossovers and maybe a little bit of pull up jumper he's his three point shot looks good mechanically even though it's not going in all the way yet and you're like okay yeah but that's more of like a two to three year project not a ten year project and right. then it's like oh you could go a lot of different places with this and also there's a kind of a correlation factor here which is somebody who's his size who has some of those things, the only way you get that is by spending time. Like you're not going to be a natural pull-up shooter at seven foot four. Like that's just not the way these things work. So that means he's spending time in the lab, spending time in the gym to do all that. I would love to see his touch around the basket, get a similar level of attention, but he's got time. Yeah. Like that's the thing. I mean, with Vic, you brought up that you've done a podcast with Adi Joseph previously about bigs getting brought up as guards as opposed to bigs getting brought up as bigs, right? Yes. And this is a circumstance where Vic has like clearly been brought up with guard skills more than big skills because that's the era of basketball that we're in right now. And also, frankly, like I think that European basketball tends to develop these guard skills just more with bigs than like the American system does and previously did in the past. Uh with Vic, like it's almost like his perimeter game and his shooting ability. Uh, it's real. Like you, you look at the jumper, it's very fluid. Like mm-hmm. he misses sometimes, but you look at the mechanics, like the rhythm is there, the touch is there. Like you believe everything's going to work to the point where, like you said, you know, you watched him in the pregame and he was like shooting movement threes. Like he's incorporated some of that into games at this point. Yes where he's like able to shoot movement threes and able to shoot like shots off of movement at seven foot four. Like that's the difference between him and Kristaps Porzingis. Like Kristaps basically used the height to be able to like get his release point up over everybody else's release point to where, you know, as a pick and pop threat, as a spot up threat, as a trailer threat, he was just knocking down shots. But like a lot of what Kristaps did in terms of like, on ball creation was like that awkward kind of post up mid post where he's longer than everyone, but it still didn't look super fluid. Right. With Wembenyama, it's more like nascent Giannis without the like superhuman strength as opposed to like what Porzingis did uh, when he was younger. Uh, it's just in terms of like developmental skills that he's bringing to the table. So, I'm very interested to see where this goes. I know that. Like, I think that he is a fascinating, fascinating prospect that, like, doesn't need to be honest in terms of strength, doesn't need to be honest in terms of, like, just aggression covering the court and, like, finishing above the rim and dunking all over everybody because he has the shooting. Like, he has the ability to space the floor out. Like, if he's even a 20-point-per-game scorer where he's bringing the level of defense that you and I think he can bring, like that's a top seven player in the league pretty easily. And that's like, 
I don't know, what, what would you say that what percentage level outcome is that for him? That feels like a like 70th percentile outcome, 60th percentile outcome for him. I was thinking 75 to 80, just because like that level of defense is really high. Like, I mean, Rudy Gobert, I mean, they're not the same prospect or the same player, but like Gobert has developed so much to become the level of defender that he is. And there's no guarantee that anybody's going to do that, even if Wembenyama has great physical tools. So I'd say that, but then the offensive and and like 20 points a game is a lot. Or is he going to get that kind of touches? But yeah, it's, it's not 95th percentile, which I think is the more important kind of element of that and, and yeah it's also like well where is this going to go you have all those talents and seems like a coachable kid he was doing all you know doing mm-hmm. the workouts and all that you're not getting everything and uh, but i mean it, it it did seem that way and you also think about the moldable clay that Wembenyama is on both ends of the floor and that he's going to be not only it, with an nba coaching staff but also with nba conditioning and health people and all that for a long time and hopefully those sorts of kinks the injury stuff and everything else can be not perfected i mean anthony davis we've brought him up a couple times in this yeah, podcast yeah, yeah, like yeah. he still deals with stuff you're never going to be perfect on that end but there is a lot to be excited about and that is really good for Wimbanyama, and it's of course really good for basketball fans more broadly yeah, I'm really excited. Really, really excited to see what Vic does this year. And I'm oh, glad that can, you got to see him in person. Can, can we do one quick exercise before we finish one Minyama? We started this on Real GM, but we can do more. Um, of teams that you think there is a even a slight possibility, pick your top three when Minyama landing spots a year from now. The Thunder would be up there because I would just be fascinated by the curiosity of him and Chet. Like, I, I think that they could absolutely play together. They can both handle the ball well enough. They can both shoot it. And I would just love to see that potential rim protection uh, of those two. And they're mobile enough. Like, I, I think that they can make it work on that end just enough to um, deal with opposing teams. And we haven't seen like a true, like we saw it with the Cavs this year with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, where it was like a Twin Towers kind of situation. But Jared Allen isn't as skilled, like, having Chet Holmgren in Wembenyama is like a twin tower situation of modern basketball where guys can dribble past shoot and provide the rim protection and like be potentially mobile at the very least. We'll see how Wemby develops. We'll see how Chet comes back from injury in terms of mobility. Uh, the Pistons, would we consider the Pistons as a possibility here? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I think the Pistons are going to win like 34 games, but like they probably don't make the play in and with how flat the lottery odds are now, like, they have a chance at the very least. Um, a K, Jaden Ivey, Sadiq Bay, Boyan, you know, whatever, insert four man shooter here with Wembenyama at the five. Uh, combination is fascinating to me and I would absolutely love to see it. Uh, it's a great question. Who, who would be my like third and fourth? Team well, I, I can like give you I can give you a couple while I think about it. So my number one, and it's a distant, distant chance, is New Orleans, just because. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're, Benyama, I think Zion, they're going to be way too good. Yeah, this year. and I mean, yeah. th- and I think the Lakers are going to be too good as well because they do have a swap right with the Lakers. But and oh yeah. boy, would that be embarrassing for for Los Angeles if this swap right ends up giving them giving that up? But so they would be my number one. That, that's a that's a great question, Danny. If the Lakers would lose Wembenyama in a pick swap situation after, because that would mean that they don't make the playoffs this year, didn't make the playoffs last year, would the Anthony Davis trade still be worth it because they won the 2020 title? 
Yeah. Because that's, 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 that's like that's the big. ultimate. Typically, it's always yes if you win a title. But that is like the <laughs> ultimate penalty. Ban- banners, banners fly forever, but it is just one. And <laughs> and I mean, and one with LeBron and AD. So, so they're, they're my number one. I don't think it's going to happen yeah. because both those teams, I think, are going to be too good. My number two is Charlotte because when sure. Benyama... So so part of this is like he fits well with a lot of other high-end players. And I think Wembenyama could unlock some Lamello stuff and provide the defensive identity that Charlotte needs to be relevant in any real way. So yeah. so you have that as another possibility. Um and then my third would be Detroit because of everything you said. That would be a lot of fun. And like Detroit, that would be, you know, we expect if that if they end up with a pick like that, he would be their last piece, but they already have the other stuff in play. And like there's a lot to really like there. And so that means if, you know, if Kate isn't everything we hoped he would be, if Jay Nivey isn't everything we hoped he'd be, if Jalen Duran isn't everything we hoped he'd be, okay, you should still have enough to make it really exciting. And then yeah. the other obvious one to me is the Rockets, where you can just kind of put things together or actually in some ways you could even argue Orlando just because I love Paolo and Paolo Wembanyama is intriguing. I'll, I'll say this. The Kings would be fascinating. Ooh. Cause then like, it's basically like generation, like you've created a player to make DeMontis Savonis flaws just not matter that much in Wembanyama. Totally. Yeah. And then Savonis and would then- make all-star game of him and i would be breaking keyboards <laughs> but like it'd be like what the miles turner sabonis idea was except with like a version of miles turner that can like dribble and pass and make plays and everything and you can like kind of run more interesting sets than you can with turner where you basically have to like put him in the corner or put him at the top of the wing offensively yeah i'm kind of in on that Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. And like they have the guards now, like they have the shooting. I don't know. That's a good one. That's mm-hmm. one that like I hadn't really thought about until this moment, but I kind of like it. I'm kind of in on it. But yeah, Oklahoma City would be my number one, like with a bullet, like not even a question in my mind. Well, especially we should talk have, about Houston have... too. Yeah. Because sure. like Houston fans will yell at me, but like Houston um with Shangoon is another example of like the Sabonis ideal, right? He's not as good as Demonis is at this point, but like being able to do some different stuff with Shangoon is like your combo four five with Jalen Green, obviously. Jabari Smith maybe playing like the Evan Mobley hybrid three four role with supersized lineups. Like that'd be really fun, I think, too. Yeah, and, and there's a parallel with the Rockets and the Pistons where when Banyama gives the other prospects some latitude to be a little bit for like if any of them exceed expectations, you're cooking with gas. But if any of them don't, you're still able to weather the storm a little bit better. And that's that's yeah. what great players do. I mean, you could talk about various different teams over the years where it's like they had other players that we hoped were going to be in that mix and it didn't quite work out. And you know that that happens. Yeah, the more I think about the Rockets, the more that's actually a really fun one. I think yeah. so. I, you I, asked me to rank, and I just like kind of went through all of them, kind of, uh, as opposed to ranking them. Well, Oklahoma you didn't City mention, was, the other one you didn't mention is the Pacers, and Halliburton Wembenyama would be fun too. Yeah, but they don't have enough yet around them to like right. for me to like conceptualize it. It's the same with um, it, it's kind of the same with San Antonio. It's you know the same with whatever Washington becomes. Same with Utah, right? Like they still don't have enough like long-term pieces there for me to conceptualize it unless you're like all in on Ben Matherin, which I do really like Ben in like the Halliburton, Ben, Wembenyama trio would be really fun. Um, but well, you asked okay, me to rank. 
Let's let's do before we do that. Let's let's say let's do this one other thing very quickly. Ignoring yeah, yeah, yeah. team quality, you can put Wembenyama with one other NBA player right now. Who would it be? Zion. Zion. Yeah, same with me. N- not even not even a question. Oh, like that would be it's 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 Zion. a dream. It's a dream and a half. Yeah, Z- Zion is the guy. Um, and, and like, look, if you think the Lakers are going to be a disaster again this year, like, not impossible. But I don't think they're going to be that bad yeah. I, like i don't think they're going to be that bad to where this is a actual possibility is it is it perverse um, that i'm kind of hoping for it just because that faint possibility of one banyama zion is just so so tantalizing that's just like whatever can make yeah, it happen I, I can't root for disaster in that no way. So, I, I and, can like and lebron I, is like it's not like you're rooting for disaster with a one of the greatest players of all time while he's still contributing so i'm not yeah no I, I can't i can't quite get there um my ranking would be Oklahoma City one, Detroit two. Probably Houston three, Sacramento four, I think would be my response here. Orlando has enough bigs. I do like the idea of Paulo, you know, Franz and Wembenyama with all their guards, but you know, Wendell Carter and like they they just have a lot of dudes there. And I, I want to see how this year goes for them as well. Like I want to see how competent all of that looks. There's obviously the massive, whatever the fuck Jonathan Isaac's going to be question that is hanging over that organization. Um, yeah. Like I, I think that I would go Oklahoma city. I would go Detroit and then I'd go one of Houston or Sacramento is uh, my top three Wemby landing spots. The, the idea of them being able to play super big with Wembenyama, Shangun, and Jabari Smith, the more I think about it, is really fun when they already also have like the primary guard in Jalen Green as well. That that could actually like lead to very quick positive results for Houston. Okay. Let's move on. We wanted to talk about trade candidates. Trade candidates this year is kind of a fraught exercise, I think, because the first time in a while, at least, it feels like there's no star player available, like realistically available. I talked about in the last show with James Edwards. I don't see the Shea Gilgis Alexander thing is remotely reasonable. Uh, I don't really like see Bradley Beal as being on the market right now, if only because like that situation, it just seems like they want to continue surrounding Brad with players and trying to make it work. Uh, It's hard to find the next star that's going to come available, which creates an interesting trade market because I wonder if we could see because of that more, like mid-tier trades throughout the course of the season because nobody is waiting for that like primary domino to fall unless the Nets just like completely fucking bottom out and Kevin Durant is like, get me the hell out of here, which I don't see happening as a mid-season trade. I don't either. And when I, so once you get through the, the meat of the off season trade, kind of discussions become more about supply who is on the trade block than about demand because demand is always going to yeah. be there. You know, like the, the, the example that I've brought up a lot here is Jalen Brown. 
So Jalen Brown would make a lot of sense on a lot of teams. But unfortunately for those other teams, like the Memphis Grizzlies or whomever else, Jalen Brown is already on a good team. He's on the Boston Celtics, yeah. and they're they're presumably going to keep him. That could theoretically change a year from now, with like depending on how he's feeling about extensions. But a, I don't think it's going to happen in season. But like that's generally well, the way. But, it's but like with Jalen too, particularly Jalen can't extend that deal. Like it's Not too right now, low. No. Yeah, to where like he's going to be able to make an exorbitant amount of money by waiting to extend he is at what like 22 a year or something like that and, and like 125 of 22 a year just doesn't get him in the ballpark of what his extension number can be right so you could either see brown making an all-nba team and then that would make him designated veteran eligible or theoretically if you play out the string all the way then he could be eligible for the 30% max on a much larger cap. That's probably not going to be the full like new TV deal, but it seems like revenues are going to be pretty good over the next couple of years. It's, it's very similar to Zach Levine, where the Bulls were in this kind of precarious situation where they couldn't really extend him. And so you have to rely a lot on your kind of intel on talking with him. And then Jalen Brown has no incentive to lie. You know, like he's going to tell them whatever, yeah. whatever is in his heart. And so if, Brad Stevens and Boston feel comfortable that they're a successful situation. He's laying down roots in the area. They're going to be a title contender in all likelihood. Then, you know, then you can probably roll those dice, not for this year, this year you're locked in, but for next year, then you yeah. start to really think about it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the Jalen thing doesn't become an issue until 2023 off season. And that's right. like looking far down the road based on Intel, we don't have, which makes me yes. like not even really want to talk about him right, in that way. Right. And, and it's so, just playing and, out the situation. Yeah. And on your other idea, kind of with the stars and you could, you brought up Bradley Beal. I think Damian Lillard is in a similar situation and there are a lot of others where the intention, at least for now is to try and to make it work. Yeah. And it is possible in some of those situations that things go South quickly enough that the deadline presents an opportunity that is a possibility, but I don't consider it a probability for any of them, in part because I think a lot of those teams are going to be good. And like, we don't know. Or at least trying to be good and we'll yeah. be like at the edge of the playoff picture. Like, Portland will be at the edge of the playoff picture because four teams in the West or three teams in the West, right? In Oklahoma City, Houston, Utah, and San Antonio, like, those are four of the five worst teams in the league, which means, you know, it, it's basically an 11 team fight for a 10 team play in tournament. Right. Right. So, so then for me, you brought up the idea of kind of like mid level players. I think that's one important clarification point. And then the other one is teams that start to redefine themselves. And so, like, we, there was some speculation during the offseason about OG and Anobi with the Raptors. And I love OG. I think that he's also on a very friendly contract, though you do run into the problem as Masai Ujiri that. Ananobi, so he he has two full years this year and next, and then yeah. has a player option. And like Ananobi, great defender in isolation within scheme. And like the Raptors in general, like there is a completely rational argument for Masai Ujiri to stay the course and keep this team together, growth from Scotty Barnes, maybe they can move in. But there's also this possibility that over the course of this season, and maybe that's a trade deadline thing, but more likely it's after the season that, you know, they play out this string and they're like, okay, we're a good team, but are we really going to, uh, how how do we get from here to 
a championship level squad. And then maybe you start to evaluate some of the stuff differently. Maybe they consider something with well, and, Van, Van and that'll Fleet be, or Siakam. Yeah, or, yeah that, I was going to say, like Toronto will be dependent upon extension conversations with Van Vliet and Siakam at the sure. end of the day. For like, sure. how do you feel about extending? Like, are you going to be staying here long term? If those guys say no, then, you know, I think you can make a move on OG thinking, okay, we're rebuilding around Scotty. We're making it work. If those guys say yes, I think you're rebuilding around this core and continuing to make sound draft decisions like this organization has for a while. And, you know, I think it could lead them to sticking with OG and like continuing to develop him when he's, he's gotten better. Like he keeps getting better every year. He keeps adding different aspects to his game. He's more of an on-ball player now. Uh, I I would continue to play out the string with OG as long as those guys want to keep playing with Toronto. Yeah. I I think for me, the only, the only pushback that I have on it is the idea of defining success. Like the, it is true that the Raptors moved from roughly this area to winning a championship through the Kawhi Leonard trade. It's just that that's yeah. a really hard thing to do. Like basically any path to a championship is hard to repeat, but there might not be a harder one than acquiring a player who is capable of being the best guy in the finals on an expiring contract for yeah. not that much. Like, yeah, if you could do it by all means do it. And, but it's just, that doesn't happen very often. And then I, I was encouraged by Scotty Barnes rookie year. He's shown some more offensive juice than I expected, which is, which is great. And like, they can do it, but that would be the way that it could kind of shift. And you could see a couple other teams in that mode eventually where it's like, okay, we're not bad, but we're not where we want to be. Like the, in some ways, the most interesting to watch there is Phoenix in part because they might have an ownership change. And so we know DeAndre Ayton's relationship with the Suns in many different ways is tenuous. And then that's, that's the primary name that I think like is, I mean, just look at his body language in these media things. And like DeAndre is a different human being. I think like we've learned that throughout the summer and that's always been the, you know, book on him. He's, you know, a guy that likes to keep to himself, play video games. Um, but also will come in, do the work, you know, high level worker, good teammate to have around for the most part. Like it's, he's a, like it's complex with DeAndre and, you know, how he's feeling now could, change if this team starts winning again and everyone's happy or it could be in january you know they kind of have to move him uh, it's he, he's the he's the primary name i think that like you can sell yourself on having star potential but you know not yet on the market literally can't be on the market uh due to collective bargaining agreement rules but like you can see a world where that changes in the early season right and those sorts of situations where it's just like, okay, we want this and we, we want to do something and how we're going to make it work. But he and teammate Jay Crowder are great examples of the biggest tension that happens with in-season trades. And that is, generally speaking, whether we're talking about great players or we're talking about middle mid-level players, the general flow is that you're trading that established player to a good team in exchange for younger for assets, whether that's young players already under contract or draft picks Mm -hmm. and then enough salary to make it work. And so it leads to this natural flow where you're trading, you're trading good players to where they need to be. And then in exchange for assets, which go to the teams, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a reorganization that makes sense. The problem 
with Aiton and with Crowder, and this will come up in a number of them. And I mean, if you want to argue Jalen Brown there, though, I think he's just too much. He's, he's better than this is generally speaking. And this was a huge, huge problem with Durant negotiations for the Nets is when a team is simultaneously good and looking to trade players that help make them good. They're not looking for young players and assets. They're looking for other good players. And Crowder, in some ways, is actually an easier person to explain this than Aiton because it's like, okay, so if the Suns trade Jay Crowder, what are they looking for? And they could use talent almost anywhere, and potentially even you could use Crowder to get somebody who is a center. Yeah, I, I have him. a I have a fun fake trade for Jay Crowder. Sure. We'll talk but, about it in a minute. But so you have that sort of an idea where it's like, okay, like, and that's why my general premise has been if the Suns trade Jay Crowder, it is going to make them worse for the 22-23 season. And they might be willing to do that, but that's just what they're going to have to, what they're, what they're going to have to accept with that is just, and, and because also the teams that want Jay Crowder need, you know, this forward who's maybe more of a four than a three at this point in his career. And most of the teams that desperately need that don't have another version of it because if they did, they wouldn't be so desperate for it. And so, and so, so you're creating an absence and Cam Johnson can step into it, but you'd ideally like another player who does that because you want as many wings as you can handle. And right. so that is a, a real potential problem in that deal. There have been various different kind of concepts with Memphis that have hit that same problem where it's like, well, how are you going to, how are you going to do this and make your team actually better and I mean, you could go with various different teams over time. And so it's, it's hard to make those trades happen. Sometimes it can be about teams valuing players differently. Like I think that's part of what facilitated the Bogdanovich for Olenek trade. That was also partially about money um, and the way, the way that all worked, but let's hear your fake trade. Okay. So my idea is trying to find a landing spot for Jake Crowder while using San Antonio basically as a third team. Okay. Right. Um, I don't know if you, how much Eurobasket you watched. I have some concerns on Dario Saric being able to play like real minutes at this point. I, I didn't watch a ton, but I share your concern. Yeah. So Dario Saric and Jay Crowder are both on expiring contracts. I wonder if there is value to San Antonio to getting off of the Doug McDermott deal, adding in Jay Crowder and Dario Saric on expiring deals to not have that money long-term on Doug McDermott. You move McDermott to Phoenix. He gives them another terrific floor spacer shooter. Obviously you have some defensive concerns that will have to wear out, but like, at the end of the day, you're getting another shooter that fits really well within that offense that'll be coming off the bench anyway because they're going to start Cam Johnson at the four. That was announced today. Mm -hmm. um, you also save Phoenix a shit ton of money in the luxury tax by doing this because Doug McDermott is at like 13.8 million, whereas Crowder and Saric are at like 19 million. So you move 6 million to San Antonio, who's way below the cap. You save Phoenix probably what? $25 million in the process while they're in the middle of a sale uh, for the organization. I wonder if that has value to Phoenix. And then you move Crowder from San Antonio to the third team. 
What I like about it from San Antonio's perspective is actually similar in, in some respects to Danny Ainge and the Gobert deal, where you get, it's not just, and you're not probably going to get much in the way of assets from Phoenix, but you you can convert the things you get into assets. Maybe not first round picks, right. but something. And 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 so you could you could do it that way. And from Phoenix's perspective, saving some money. I don't love McDermott there because of the defensive issues, especially yeah. because you're already swapping Cam Cam Johnson for Jay Crowder. So it's like you got a lot so, a lot but, but of here's, defensive. Here's changes. here's my concern. Uh, what has been the driving force for Phoenix? Look, I, I think they can probably do better than Doug McDermott in general. Uh, as like, if you're trying to maximize the player value for a Jay Crowder trade, I think you can do better than Doug McDermott. But the driving factor for Phoenix throughout large portions of this ownership group has been saving money on the luxury tax a lot of the time or saving money, period saving that team a ton of money against the luxury tax, I would imagine would be very valuable. And I would imagine that value is only going to be like extreme. They're like even placed in greater emphasis in the middle of a sale on the team. Like I know that McDermott has two years left as opposed to one, which means you're taking on an additional year of contract, but he becomes an expiring deal that becomes relatively easy to move at that point. I don't know, like you're essentially getting a replacement at the four that we know can come in and play like 20 minutes a night, at least, even if you have concerns about McDermott's defense that I share. Um, but he's a 40% three-point shooter that you can camp out in the corners with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and he's going to knock down 40 to 45% of his threes, and the Suns owners are going to save a ton of money. Well, I, that seems fairly valuable to me if – Given what we know about Phoenix's general situation, uh, and on top of it, we're also considering the Cam Johnson of it all here. Uh, Cam Johnson is expiring, obviously. He is extension eligible right now. He'll be a restricted free agent next summer. I, I don't know if this team is looking to extend Cam Johnson or not. I think that it would add another real financial like if I was Cam Johnson, I'd be asking for $18 million a year. And I don't know if the Suns are going to give him 18 a year to be their fifth or sixth best player. So I don't know. This could like save them a ton of money, maybe allow them to make a Cam Johnson offer, even though you'd be adding the McDermott salary long-term. I think you get off of that next summer when he's expiring. I, I think the amount of money it saves them now could have benefits down the road while not necessarily like destroying your value this year. I'll throw in a couple other things, and I think the Spurs and Suns are natural trade discussers, maybe more than trade partners. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, another yeah. another element that they could discuss is Jakob Pertl, and so yes. Pertl, a capable, underappreciated player who will be an unrestricted free agent absent an extension. He's extension eligible all the way through the season, you know, unless he signs something else because that's just you know he's a veteran going through it. And Pirtle, I think, would be a good fallback for them to have. Also, getting rid of Pirtle for the Spurs gives them the benefit of being worse. So, like, and, and oh, that, so that ba- team's they're they're going to be so bad, though. Like, they are, but but but, but what I mean, but that. from the Suns' perspective, is that gives you not only necessarily Aiton insurance, but it also gives you the yeah. idea of potentially moving Aiton for a player at a dramatically different position. And so, like, you could you could eventually do something there. The other thing that the Spurs have, if they're willing to, 
is they could theoretically take on that. So Landry Shamet has two fully guaranteed seasons this year and next year, and then two non-guaranteed seasons. And I know James Jones loves Landry Shamet, and that's why he gave him that contract. But San Antonio, they're in kind of this weird situation, which happens like where, yes, cap space is immensely valuable, but they might have so much cap space that it doesn't matter as much. Yeah. And so like if they want to take on that 10 million, it might be more valuable to Phoenix to offload it than it would be for the Spurs to take it on because like oh, we go from, you know, 49 million to 39 million or 59, I don't know, I, I don't have the exact numbers. They did sign Keldon Johnson to a lucrative extension, which they front loaded, yeah. I believe. Um but but you know, th- those sorts of ideas and so you have some to use an economics concept, you have some double coincidences of wants there where like one team could value what the other team has and the, and, and vice versa. And that's how trades happen. Yeah. And you're, you are correct. They did front load the Keldon Johnson deal. It goes from 20 million to 19 down to 17 and a half in the last two years. Uh, of the a, deal. A, gr- a great decision, by the way, as this, as a CBA nerd, um, the only weakness of doing that in kind of where salaries are going is that it makes it harder to extend off of that. But yeah. that's a first world problem if you if you need yeah. to deal with that because Kelton Johnson is so awesome five years from now. Okay, you'll deal with it. Yeah, I, I think that like my preferred structure on these is almost flat as opposed to front loaded. Like go like 18, four straight years as opposed to uh, like, like Jared like 20, Allen. Yeah, or 19, I guess it'd be in that case. Yeah, Jared Allen is a prime example of this. Just go flat and give yourself a little bit better of a chance to extend later on. But that's, you know, again... This is so CBA nerdy mm-hmm. and cap nerdy that I don't know that we need to exacerbate it. Um, well, so, so can I give you a different a different kind of thread on trades that also could happen for this year? Well, I was going to ask you real quick. Let's finish the loop on Jay Crowder. Is sure. there a team that you like? Because Jay Crowder, it seems like, is the next guy to move, right? Like just very clearly. Um They've not brought him to training camp. They're trying to explore a trade market. Where do you think is the best landing spot for Jay Crowder? Because we didn't really talk about that. I don't have one that's like a screaming great fit because I think of Crowder as more of a four than a three, which means Cleveland is a little less interesting. Also, Cleveland, they don't, I mean, if they're, and John Gambadoro had this on Thursday that like they might be interested in Jetty Osman, but like I don't, I don't, I don't value the Cavs guys they could offer in a trade enough to potentially make that move. So I think they have the desire. It's just can they capitalize on it? I mean, I know Jay Crowder and LeBron don't have the best relationship, but adding another front court player to the Lakers would be useful. Like, but the matching salary and all that's really hard for them. And the team that to me is the most obvious needs a player like Jay Crowder is Miami. And yeah. they, you know, they lost PJ Tucker in part because I mean, we don't know if if the money was the same whether he would have chosen Philly over Miami. It appears the money was not the same. But they have a hole at power forward now, and they'll do some of that through small ball. But it would be nice to have an option, and they, you know, they would do that. And Andy Ellsberg is a CBA like cap cap genius, and they have the he'd actually have different structures that could work with that. Um, and it doesn't have to involve somebody like Duncan Robinson, though it absolutely could. Yeah, yeah, it's it's harder to find like the exact fit. Like I like the idea of Dallas for him. Sure. But like, and I like the idea of Dwight Powell, like being a backup center for DeAndre Ayton. Like, I think that he'd actually really fit within Phoenix's offense, but like, 
Dwight Powell makes more money than Jay Crowder and is a less impactful player. So how excited is Phoenix's front office going to be about that? Dallas also doesn't have like great pick capital at the end of the day. Um, I brought up the idea of Sacramento previously, like Harrison Barnes is expiring this year. Like, is there a world where the Suns could just decide, okay, Harrison Barnes um, is an actual difference maker for us. Uh, he fits really well within our scheme. He's a good defender. He's long. Could you do something like uh, Harrison Barnes for Crowder and Sarich or Crowder and Shamit plus like a fake first round pick that maybe becomes two seconds after a year or something or, like that? Or I mean, just a real pick They're for their own first rounder this year. Yeah, like may- maybe you top 24 protect it or something sure. like that. And then it becomes two seconds that way. Like, you know, you're expected to be good if you're not that great. You know, if you're a middling Western conference playoff team, as opposed to a top seed in the West, maybe that works, but yeah, something like that was interesting to me. If only because Sacramento has, you know, uh, Keegan Murray that they seem very excited about and that will be a primary part of their offense early on in his career. You know, Harrison Barnes maybe takes a small backseat with the Demonis Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox combo with Keegan Murray as like your primary second side creator. You know, you obviously have Kevin Herter now there who's going to demand the ball as a floor spacer who can do stuff with the ball. I wonder if this is the time that you could potentially get value for Harrison Barnes. Uh, and Harrison Barnes is valuable to Phoenix, I think. I love Harrison Barnes. I would like to see him on a better team than Sacramento. I wish yeah. it happened two years ago. If it happens now, that's great. And so, yeah, I, I would be I would be fully on board with that. Yeah, like to me, it, it actually knocks it hits a lot of targets for Phoenix. Where if you did Sarich and Crowder, it actually saves them a little bit of money against the tax. Not like a crazy amount of money, but like you know, Harris. I think Harrison Barnes makes like a million less than that duo. So you'd be making you'd be saving what like three million or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um. So you'd be saving $3 million against the tax. You'd be saving $1 million in salary. Uh, you'd be getting a better player. You'd just be giving up a later pick. Like That that seems like a reasonable well, move and, to me across and the board. It, it's another one of those potentially expandable ones. Like you could theoretically add Rashawn Holmes to the deal as a as another Aiton potential yeah. eventual replacement. You yeah. could you could do you could the idea I brought up before was Shamit, even though the Kings don't need him. They have a bunch of other two guards, but like to to balance the money, like especially if the Kings are getting some real assets in return, like they can they can extract they can give things to the Suns that are valuable to the Suns. So you could do it that way. There's the, the another natural set of trade discussers. Yeah, I think that those two teams are interesting. But th- those are the two that I oh, came up I can, with. I like can give San, you one more. San Antonio and Sacramento were the two main ones that I kind of had an idea on. In a world where Julius Randle was not an integral part of the Knicks' plans, Jay Crowder as the four in their structure would actually make a lot of sense. Because yeah, he would low, lower yeah. lower usage, capable defensively, would fit well. Pretty would fit well next to Robinson and Hartenstein as kind of like a you know like a, a fit there. And actually, I think he makes a lot of sense with their backcourt too. So you could, but but then it's like, what do you send back? How much how much is it worth to you? And how interested is Crowder? Like so because so uh, I'll, I'll like, say this like that there. What if you did like Jay Crowder and campaign for Derrick Rose? Hmm. 
Oh, uh, Rose That's... is the ba- Rose is the backup point guard on a really on a really good team would be a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, like in that again campaign and like look they'd have to take on that extra year of campaign money which i don't know if they necessarily want to do i, I don't think but they care like, that much it's not that much money. it's only six million yeah like you know you get your third point guard behind they have emmanuel quickly already who's like ready to step into backup point guard minutes i think like i don't know I, I, that's that's not a bad one to me either and i look at danny and danny might be frozen here as we're talking i, I think we're okay now Okay. Um, but yeah, like that's an intriguing one to me. There, there are landing spots for, for Jay Crowder for sure. It's just like, I figured that everyone would be ready to go on first glance, but like, you know, this is a guy that makes $10 million who can be a rotation player on a playoff team, on a title team, but it's harder to find the spot than you'd think. The Knicks one is interesting to me as well. Now that you yeah. say that. So I'll, can I throw one, another concept out at you? This is kind of my favorite type of in-season trade, which is yeah, good established good player who eventually either at the moment or eventually is going to be supplanted by somebody else. And so I don't think this one is going to happen, but a good way to explain this is theoretically, if Anyeka Kongwu looks good enough that they, that the Hawks think he's the center of the present and or future instead of Quinkapala. Yeah. And so that's how the pieces on the board shift. It's not, we're going to be bad and we're tearing it down. It's, oh, we have this guy. So now we don't, now we can put this into the mix for everyone else. And those can be really fun deals because it just, it opens up new possibilities. Yeah. I I like that one as well. Um, Yeah. I have a list of guys here. The the other team that we have to talk about, I think is Utah. Uh, Utah seems to be giving signals that they are pleased with the roster they have and are willing to go to camp with it. That's probably true. I I believe that, but obviously they have Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley and Malik Beasley as players that could help, you know, teams off the bench uh, this season very easily. And I wonder if that's like, I mean, they're the next like natural team. Is is there a, I saw a report earlier today, I believe from Tony Jones that said the Bucks were interested in Jordan Clarkson. It's just that like, they didn't want to take back George Hill's money. Like, is there a deal out there for one of those three guys that like, you know, you think you could reasonably make sense of? Not one that I love. And with with Clarkson, it's you run into the problem of the way that deal happens is a team likes Jordan Clarkson more than I do. Like I, I hated the yeah. deal back when back when they signed it because I thought it was too much money for a guy who was flawed and was gonna age super well for them. And Clarkson, just to walk people through it, he ha- he will make thirteen point three this year and then has a player option for fourteen point three for next year. So that's a pretty big commitment for another team. Like that's a lot as as our mutual friend Seth Partner would put it, that's a lot of Jordan Clarkson. And oh, uh, so wait, wait, time time, time, time. I think he declines that. Like I don't even think I, it's a question he declines that. I don't it depends. I don't think there are going to be that many teams with cap space. He he would decline it in if he wants a be, a different opportunity. But no, I mean, well, he Clarkson, he'd decline it to get the full. Like if you're getting the full mid level, that's more valuable than taking that player sure, option, right? I mean, if he if he can get that. So Clarkson, as we're recording this, Clarkson is thirty. He'll turn thirty one before the start of next year. So yeah, if he can do it, I mean, I, I think his game is not going to age super well. And actually, the exact thing I just brought up with with Clarkson is far, far more prevalent with Conley, where Mike Conley, 
you know, making 22.7 this year and then has a basically half guaranteed contract for, for a 23-24, I think a lot of teams would love to have Mike Conley. I don't know, A, if there's a team that wants him that, like $24 million badly, right. or who has that kind of level of money in matching salary that they don't like more ballasty. So like, I think of Conley yeah. as much as I yeah. like him as being, you know, like even to slightly negative value. And so that means you're a going to really need wants or need Mike Conley and B going to have that kind of money laying around. And there usually are a couple of teams, but I don't think there are a couple teams that have that and, need him like you need you need that you need somebody who checks both boxes and off the cuff i don't have a team that does chicago maybe but the defense like the defensive limitations would be would be pretty severe there. like to me if they're putting that kind of stuff together it's a center that they hopefully think can be better than vooch like if that's good yeah they put it together and speaking of vooch vooch is a name i have on this list because this is the last year of vooch's deal he is, I think, look, if, they're, if they want to build around DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Pat Williams, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, I think he's not the best fit as a center there, as I've talked about with, I think, Robbie Calland, we talked about this. But, like, you know, Levine, Pat Williams, obviously DeMar DeRozan, those guys love that mid-post area, and that's where Vooch is at his best as well. I wonder if they're is a deal out there for a team that could really value Vooch. The team that Robbie Calland brought up is Charlotte. I actually think Charlotte could be quite interesting for Vooch as like a secondary playmaker uh, next to LaMelo Ball, given the fact that um, Miles Bridges is not going to be playing basketball. I cannot imagine that he'll be playing basketball this season. And I, uh, I and if, if he is, I sincerely doubt it'll be as a Hornet. I I don't th- I, I can't imagine he's going to be playing basketball this season while these legal proceedings play out. Um, that's just my guess on all of it. The, we'll see what happens there. But they need secondary scoring. Like they have Terry Rose. They need secondary scoring from the front court, I think, as much as anything. A lot of their scoring comes from the back court. I wonder if Vooch could actually really help them at the center position quite a bit. And then maybe you could do like a PJ Washington and something for Vooch. Yeah, maybe that that's one. Um, and then, do you mind if I throw out another trade genre for you? And I have a player in mind here. Yes, it's let's do the it. it's the we like the guy we have, but can we do better? And so for me, that's D'Angelo Russell. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Minnesota, Minnesota has they added Rudy Gobert. It's more the time is now than it was before. You have Gobert and Towns and. Edwards, I mean, Edwards can, his, he's going to have a longer window. And so I believe that you want another creator. Like, I don't think putting, especially with the reporting that Edwards is going to have a lot of defensive responsibilities this year, I don't think you want to put it all on Towns and Edwards. But not only because of Russell's defensive limitations, but also like he has some injury stuff and the aging element. So Minnesota, at one point, like, I had this idea that they could theoretically use cap space instead and like go after somebody. And that is still a possibility. They put, you know, like Torian Prince has a, uh, I believe his structure is a non-guarantee rather than a team option. But the more logical path for Minnesota, if they assess that Russell was not their guy, 
is actually to trade him for that guy. Um, I don't know necessarily who that is. Like, I don't think Conley is good enough. Like, if Conley were eight years younger, then, of course, he would be an awesome fit. But that, that gets a little bit dicey. But, like, so the idea is maybe it's more of a secondary. And the funny thing about having – you're pairing this player with Anthony Edwards is – they could be a lot of different heights. This doesn't need to be a six foot two guy. Right. This could be a six foot seven guy, just somebody who you think can play, who can do some, who can shoot a little bit, who can pass a little bit, and who will be in your closing five. What what if it's Dallas? What if it's like Dinwiddie and like Tim Hardaway or something like that? Yeah, that's 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 a possibility. Yeah. Um, what, what if you go depth? Basically, is my point instead of. Uh, like singular guy, like you get Dinwiddie to be like your point guard. You bring Tim Hardaway off the bench. Like this, this Minnesota team, they lost a bit of depth in that uh, Rudy Gobert trade. Like even though that wasn't really talked about, the pick capital was. Um, but like you look at this team, you know, it's right now D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, uh, you know, Carl Towns, Rudy Gobert with Kyle Anderson. Wendell Moore, Jalen Noel, you're hoping for health from PJ Dozier. Like Eric Pascal is their two way guy. Like, you know, Jordan McLaughlin's like a good backup center. Naz Reed's a good center, but like they don't really have like wing depth. Like, I wonder if like wing size depth is the way to go there. Could be. And I, I like Josh Minot a lot, but I don't think he's going to be ready now. It's not ready now. Like, that's, yeah, that's just, th- that would be extremely unusual for a player that raw and that young to be ready to help out immediately. And I, I don't even think I like, like if I was Minnesota, I'd probably just keep D'Angelo instead of doing that deal mm-hmm. for Dinwiddie and Hardaway. I'm just trying to come up with like formulations of a deal, even yeah. that like you can make sense of. It's, I think it's hard for D'Angelo. Like I, I, I'm just not sure where you move him. It's difficult. I mean, there, you could draw a scenario out where Orlando thinks he's a better creator than the other guys they have, but I would rather put the ball in Paulo's hands, give give Cole Anthony a roll of the dice, and they don't really have the long term money because the two the two conceits for a, a Russell trade partner is one, a team could be interested in an expiring contract in exchange for a long term one, even if they think that player is good, just because of the way their books work. Like that, that yeah. happens from time to time where it's like, we have a guy, he's pretty good, but our team is really expensive or something else. Like that could eventually be something that happens with Anthony Simons. It's not right now, but like where it's, we don't think he's bad, but our team is crazy expensive. We're going to do something different. And then the other is kind of just needing a, you know, like wanting that kind of a creator like that, that, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who can, who can shoot and who can, who can function on and off the ball. And, I, I mean, but it's always hard. You know this too, where it's like, I'm lower on Russell than the consensus. Just like a lot of the guys we talked about, Vooch and everybody yeah. else. So it's like, well, why would you want him? But there are teams that really like him. Russell has constituencies all around the league. Yeah. Like, like Washington, you know, was in the market for a point guard this year. Like right. what if it's, you know, they think Kyle Kuzma is going to leave him free agency and, you know, it's Kyle Kuzma and Monty Morris, you know, for, D'Angelo Russell or something like yeah, that. They'd have to add a little yeah, bit more money, I think. But, yeah. Or somebody, yeah. There are, there are a lot of different a lot of different constructions with a team like the Wiz that could work. Yeah. Will Barton and Kyle Kuzma, actually, I think that's a move that like you can make a case could potentially help Minnesota if you think Anthony Edwards can like play point a little bit more and like be your primary ball handler. Because mm-hmm. that would be like multiple big defensive well, 
Kuzma is like good as a shot creator defender. Will Barton's like a good shot creator. I don't know. That's that's not actually bad. The more I think about it, um, I don't know. Like uh, the, the other guys that are on my list here that I had, we talked about Pirtle briefly. Uh, center market, obviously. I think Pirtle, by the way, is like if I was San Antonio, I would be offering him the max one twenty five percent extension and same being if he takes it. Like, I don't think that's terribly far off what his value is. I really like Pirtle, but like, is he really going to get 19 million, 20 million on the open market? I'm pretty skeptical of that, aren't you? I am skeptical of that. And generally speaking, those non-star centers can get really squeezed. Like it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough place to be. And especially if San Antonio is not on national TV a lot, they're not at the forefront. Like the, the, Circumstances are trending in a way that could lead Jakob Pertl to be undervalued by the market. Yeah, like I think you and I would both rather have Jakob Pertl than Mitchell Robinson, pretty clearly, right? I would. And I mean, Robinson has a higher ceiling, but Pertl has been the better player so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably fair. And Jakob will be 27, uh, I think, in October. So, you know, the, but man, he, he took a bit of a leap offensively last year, like just enough of a leap to where you can like see him as a non like zero offensively now, whereas before it was like good defender, just a zero offensively. He's not quite that anymore. Like he's a great defender. That's a negative offensively now, not like a pure zero. The other, another guy I think we should definitely, you know, talking about trade possibilities is miles Turner and Turner, seemingly battling Marcus Smart for the longest time on the trade block on while staying on the same team. And with Turner, like, I mean, the sales pitch for me is very easy. Like, I mean, we don't know, uh, we don't know why Miles Turner is still on the Pacers, whether it's that the Pelicans are, or sorry, not the Pelicans. That's a place I've wanted him to go for five years, but whether the Pacers are asking for a lot and not getting it, or they're out, or they're just not getting strong offers. Like we, we just don't know, but a defensively, really capable guy who you know offensive role is going to be very subtle of course Caitlin Cooper has done excellent work on that for Indy Cornrows but that is actually an extremely valuable player type in the modern modern league and center is overstuffed but there are a lot of teams that could use a guy who spaces the floor and doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot who is as good defensively as Turner has been the team that I wonder about there a little bit is I don't think Milwaukee has the pick capital to get it done. Oh, I but wish like, they could get him. Yeah, that that's kind of like an interesting one because you can get pretty close with the Brooke Lopez money. Brooke Lopez only has one year on this deal. Um, in like, you'd need to find value. Like, it, they'd have to like maybe really like Marjan Beauchamp or something like that. Um, but I wonder if like th- like that that's a phenomenal fit for them. That's such a good fit for them. I think I can give you a couple. I mean, I've thought about Miles Turner trade destinations forever. Um, yeah. New Orleans is the obvious dream. I mean, playing in with Zion, you get a rim protector and all that, and they have a lot of different s- structures that could happen to make that deal occur. Memphis, with or without, I mean, Jaron Jackson's not obviously going to be in the trade, but I actually yeah. really like the Turner Jackson fit, but also playing one or the other would be really good. And then so you could do a lot of different concepts with yeah. their front court. That would be a really logical fit. I 
I think Oklahoma City doesn't want to do this now, and I don't know if Turner would want to re-sign there, but like you yeah. just throw him in with Chet and and Poku and like it's yeah, it's going to work to some extent and like you see you have you have a lot of good players and you just think okay like so it's probably going to start out with you know you're going to go in, in for this year in different directions and then the idea would be if he's willing to resign Holmgren and Turner as your 4-5 next year. The other team, the other guy that's on my list here. And this is a team I've brought up before for Miles Turner. I brought him up last year. What if the Warriors decide to go all in again this year and they figure we can't keep James Wiseman's salary around next year because we're going to keep all of Wiggins, Draymond, and Poole. And that $10 million balloons into $40 million quickly, right? What if you picked up Wiseman's option in October? I can't imagine they're not going to pick up that option, right? I agree. Um, yeah, like you have to do it. But you do it essentially to move him knowing that you're going to keep the core that you have and then use Wiseman as like an all-in trade chip this year for an expiring. And your idea would be that if you're the Pacers, you get a flyer on a former number two overall pick for Miles Turner. It would be expensive for the Warriors, um, especially because presumably you're doing that to re-sign Turner. And the kind of the... the Well, no, I'm I'm saying saying don't do it to re-sign Turner. I'm saying just for this year to give them a boost. Uh, uh, And then he's expiring, and then you move him, then you just move. Yeah, you could, and you could do a sign-in trade. He's not... Base year compensation is probably not going to be an issue. Um, the the other kind of argument in favor of Turner for the Warriors is that as great as Draymond Green is in his role, he won't be able to do it forever. And so the idea might be just as like um, different, you know, you think of players as replacements, like the, I, I'm sure that was part of the intention with Wiseman is that you could also bring him in with the vision of him being in, you know, two, three years being a Draymond Green replacement. And right. Right. You know, he's, yeah, he's he's extension eligible, and wow, I actually don't love. I mean, the fit of those two guys together, of course, it works. But you, when Draymond moves away from the five, you lose some of what makes him so amazing. But having another good player, if the asset cost is relatively relatively low, would be really really good for the Warriors. I mean, and you could throw like, depending on how you feel about their like the guys that they have offered. I mean, you could throw in a lot of different places like. I would love to see Turner on Chicago. Like I, th- I think he's yeah, a better fit yeah. for what they're doing than Vooch and, and all these different ones. But it's what is Indiana looking for? What is the what is the asset cost? How willing are they to take on long term money? And and also like what does Miles Turner want? Because part of what makes the NBA so much fun for us and for fans is that even though Miles Turner is under contract right now, he actually has a very real voice in this process yeah. because he can indicate that he is willing to willing or not willing to come back to the Pacers, what that kind of price would be because he is extension eligible, but also he can do that with other teams. And the way this really works from a trade perspective is how, what you're trying to do is by indicating who you would be willing to resign with. If you're doing that privately or publicly, you're trying to get the teams that you don't want to go to, to weaken their offers so that the places and potentially the places that you do want to go to strengthen them. So it kind of, it sorts itself out and you get more, you get to more likely to go where you want to go. And so with Turner, like that is an important part of this that will probably be under like that will, that will not be public information, 
but will absolutely affect any negotiations with the Pacers and anyone else. Uh, last Miles Turner team. I wonder if you could find a way to get it done for Brooklyn. I would. That's. I mean, Brook, Brooklyn and and L.A. are the two for me. The Lakers. Yeah. That it's like. I mean, the Clippers would be great too. But it's like, oh yeah, yeah he could really do a lot. Do a lot for them. I. I there had been that kind of like floating possibility. And we're working through everything. I think it was around when the Royce O'Neal deal happened. It's like, oh yeah, maybe they can make it work. They had a couple of picks and everything else. But yeah, I. I would love to see. I'd love to see him in Brooklyn. Yeah, maybe it's something like you know if they really like Cam Thomas for a reason um you know you do seth curry's expiring deal cam thomas doesn't quite get you close enough money wise you'd have to find another slot i just kind of assume they're not going to move joe harris because they really seem to like joe harris they do um you know in brooklyn like joe harris's money is basically a perfect fit i mean i mean hilariously it could eventually be riz o'neill but it it yeah i think there needs to be a little bit more lag time than they've had so far Actually, yeah. he was acquired via exception, so they think they could technically do it. Yeah, they they can. I just don't um, think they want to. Yeah, I, I just don't know if they would. Like, they, it gets it gets hard. Like, you you can't even accumulate Curry, Thomas, Yuta Watanabe, and uh, Dayron Sharp. Like, that still leaves you three hundred thousand dollars short of a deal. So, like. Uh, yeah, it, it almost would have to be Joe Harris, unfortunately, but I, I don't know that that's a move that Brooklyn would be willing to make for, you know, Joe Harris is a good player. I think people are going to, unless like Joe Harris comes back and like just really can't move after uh, his injuries last year. Right. So uh, is there anyone, any other, you know, guys that you want to talk about here? Like, look, like I have on my list, like, like Gary Trent is interesting, if only because he has one year left uh, before he has that player option next year. Um, A lot of teams, I think, could really see Gary Trent as valuable. Um, You know, I have Kyle Kuzma here, which we briefly talked about. Dario Saric's money is, you know, a, a thing that could be eminently movable for Phoenix. Uh, Orlando just has like a big roster glut of young players, which could always lead to something of a trade depending on how their season goes. It's just like, you have no idea how that's going to go early in like the process there, I guess. So it's not even worth like speculating on certain names. Um, like other than maybe Mo Bamba mid season, cause Mo Bamba got his maybe like, cause you and I had questions on why that Mo Bamba thing happened, right? Like why would he resign there? Maybe it was to get the most money possible with an understanding that he'd be moved. Like, yeah, he or moved. Yeah, that that's that's a possibility. And like the 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 Magic also have Gary Harris, who I think is like one of he's a prototypical could help another team more than he's helping the Magic right now. Assuming they don't want to win a lot of games this year. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, I don't think that's necessarily like the sexiest trade conversation to have, but he is a a possibility there for sure. And that gets you to 23 million, which is not an insubstantial amount of money uh, to accumulate in a trade. Um, I'm just kind of throwing out ideas here at this point, though. So the other kind of team slash player that I don't think we need to discuss it heavily, but it's one of those like situations that would matter if they see it the way I do, which they don't, is the Grizzlies with Dylan Brooks. So to me, Dylan Brooks is he's the uh, such a classic really good player to have as your team is growing but his negatives become more pressing when your team is actually good yeah. and so 
they're the most thorny negotiations and deliberations to have as a front office because you love the guy. He's a big part of what got you to where you are. And you think about how is how he's big for their identity and how the players really like him. But one of the things that I think Memphis really needs from their support players is a lack of downsides. Like you have yeah. John Morant and Desmond Bain and when he's healthy, Jaron Jackson Jr., and so you don't want the other guys to like take a ton of bad shots. You want them to be respected when they shoot and everything else. And like Dylan Brooks is unequivocally like a good basketball player. He actually, I remember you're the one who told me this. Like he led the league in minutes played as a rookie, or he led the rookies in minutes played as a rookie. And most yeah. of that was for a good reason. So Memphis, and I mean, I wrote a whole piece for the Athletic talking about them as a sleeping giant in the 22 offseason that materialized into exactly nothing other than actually getting worse, which is wild. But like those sorts of situations where like he's going to be extension eligible, Brooks is on an expiring contract, they haven't replaced him yet. So that means your base assumption should be that they intend to bring him back. But that is not a guarantee. And then the other guy, mostly, honestly, is a vessel for everything else, is there is this guy, Russell Westbrook, who's still somehow on the Lakers. And the problem with Russ, sort of similar to Mike Conley, is that he just makes so much money, there are only so many things that can happen. But you would theoretically, trading him in most most constructions would make the Lakers materially better. Memphis is in a fascinating situation this year because this summer into next season, the 2023-24 season, is really when they have to make their consolidation trade. Because if we assume that they're going to give Desmond Bain the $25 million plus that he's earned, you know, $30 million, whatever the number is going to be, whenever he hits free agency, uh, hits restricted free agency, uh, that's going to lock them in at essentially like... 87, 90 million dollars for three guys plus, you know, Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, Santi Aldama, Kennedy Chandler. Like those are all guys that essentially I think are guaranteed to be on the roster for them in 2024-25. They're now within that window of consolidation trade. And really this year might be the easiest time for them to do it. Because all of Steven Adams, Dylan Brooks, and Danny Green, that money that is on their books, and I think they're going to keep just because it's valuable for them in like long-term flexibility, long-term trade asset, everything like that. Um, that's essentially like $28, $38 million in expiring money that could be used in order to facilitate a blockbuster deal. The problem is, again, going back to our original conversation here, that deal isn't really out there on the market right now. But if by midseason it does materialize and Jalen Brown, for whatever reason, comes available, which you and I don't see happening, but s- someone will come available is our you know, hypothesis at some point, right? right? Like someone always comes available. Memphis is now within striking range, really at some point in the next, let's call it, you know, 18 months, 19 months to where if they're going to make a consolidation trade, it has to come now within these next 19 months. Right. And the objective to me 
should be getting somebody who can be the fourth or fifth player, somebody who's in their closing five. And it's exciting because the Grizzlies could add somebody who fills a lot of roles, who does a lot of different things. Some of that depends on the evaluation, Zach Kleiman's evaluation of guys like Zaire Williams and LaRavia and all that. I, I, and, and the big one, by the way, there is Brandon Clark because they're going to pay Brandon Clark this summer. Right. And so if, if so, yeah, it's great if it's Jalen Brown. But honestly, if you can get somebody who's a little bit, you know, who's 26 or younger, but yep. is a three or a four and is a good player who was you think will be better for you. Honestly, whatever they do well is, you know, capable shooter, like good enough shooter, good enough defender, then that will probably make your team better for the long term because then all you're looking for is one guy and they probably already have that other player in house. Like whether it ends up being Clark or Zaire or Roddy or Laravia, like they, they, they have some pretty good options there. And because they're not going to be able to use cap space to solve it. Like I, I previously thought that might be a possibility and they retain Tyus Jones and a number of other things. So yeah, it is the, the next 18 months to me, it's, it's, not like ceiling because that's more about John Morant and, and Bain and Jaron, but it is so important to, okay, are these guys like feisty and in the mix or are they like a real, like serious contender? Yeah. I think they're going to make that transition to where they are a serious contender. And you bring up the idea of using cap space. The problem is there's just not someone to use cap space on unless like, unless Chris Middleton leaves Milwaukee. Like that, that's the only name for them that I think like you can make the case is a real difference maker for them that is in free agency next year. Um, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, James Harden probably is back in Philly. I don't know that I would want James Harden if I was Memphis. I don't know that he fits their timeline. Um, well, so can I throw out, can I throw out one name? He's not on the market now, but who would be a very, very fascinating possibility? Yeah. Pascal Siakam. Siakam's a great one. Yeah, like uh, those Toronto dudes, like all of them almost, like make a lot of sense for them across the yeah. board, except and, for Fred. So and, like, that, and that requires the Raptors to be in a different place. And that's really what Memphis, because they didn't do anything in the offseason, they need someone to shake loose. We don't know who it's going to be, but their fl- roster flexibility actually means that it could be a number of different types of guys and work. Yeah. Cleveland's kind of in the same boat where they need a three desperately. And it would be great if it's a specific thing, but they just need someone and we just have to see who it's going to be. And they have options internally as well. Like they have Dean Wade, they have Isaac Okoro, you know, they have a number of different dudes that it could be um, that could provide what they need at the end of the day. Sure. Um, you know, maybe Okoro takes the leap this year and he's just the guy, right. That went fifth overall for them. And he wasn't terrible last year. I thought like he got better. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Cleveland's in an interesting spot, but Danny, I've kept you long enough. Uh, did you watch any good movies while you were in Europe for five weeks? Uh, so I didn't watch, I didn't watch a a ton while I was there. Um, on the plane, I had never seen, um, Logan before the, you know, the, it was, it was very good. Um, let's see, uh, nothing, no real standouts. How about you? I watched confess Fletch last night, the new Fletch movie with John Hamm. How was it? It's so good. It's so nice. fun. It's, I don't know why Paramount, who I believe was the distributor, just dumped it without like telling anyone. Um, the only like buzz I've heard about it has been just like organic, like online people that see it. They're just like, wait, what is this? This is amazing. Um, 
It's really good. I had a I'm great exci- time I'm excited with about that. it. Yeah, it's really, really good. He's like the perfect Fletch, John Hamm. Uh, I've seen some other stuff, but nothing, nothing like amazing. I saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, that was interesting. But um, I'll talk about all this on the pod with Adam Spinella over the weekend. Uh, Danny, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Yeah, I mean, so for written work, typically at The Athletic, you can check that out. Audio, Real GM Radio, including one with the great Sam Vecini that will be out probably around the same time this comes out um, dunked on dunked on prime with Nate Duncan. That's going strong. Now that I'm back and, and he's back, we're going to be, we'll be five times a week pretty soon. And we also now added John Hollinger to the dunked on prime family. Oh, so Hollinger Duncan's going to be there too. And uh, recently announced that the, uh, the NBA strategy stream, which is Nate and I calling games live with the game on the, st- on, on the screen, that's going to be back for this year. This so that's with League Pass. Basically, you can watch us instead, and the NBA app has gotten revamped. That will hopefully benefit you know you guys being able to watch us as well. We're working on some bells and whistles. We'll see how those how those activate. So a lot of great stuff there, and there might be some others. We'll just have to see. Couldn't be more excited for my good friend Danny Larue. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. This is going up Saturday morning, Friday night range. And we'll be back on Sunday night, Monday morning range with Adam Spinella. We're going to break down some NBA prospects. So until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.